Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Kenan Pickett, and I'm glad to be with you. Um, we are excited to see all of the new faces and the visitors that are with us this morning. So on behalf of Crosswalk Worship, I'd just like to tell you, we're glad you're here, and, and thank you. We're glad that you're uh, with us this morning. Now, I, I know that you see this probably over here right now, and, and I assure you, I'll, I'll show you what it is. But what if I told you that what this is is a painting that God did, that only God uh, could do? Um, and the under here is a painting. It's a, a marvelous work. It's, it's masterful. I, I wish you could see uh, everything that, that is involved in this painting because it's just incredible. But, but you know, um, we're going to talk about access to this painting and being able to see it because let me tell you, it is something truly, truly special. I think I've titled it in my own mind, Christmas in July. <laughs> you know, and I could use a little Christmas right now because I've been really hot. Um, it, uh, it's, been, it's been pretty warm out there. Uh, but anyway, so I'll get to that. I know you're, you're not uh, very anxious to see what's under there, but it, it's incredible. Let me just assure you of that. So uh, we've been talking about in our worship series called Then and Now at Lover's Lane, uh, uh, how that has evolved and how it has affected our mission statement. What is our mission statement, church? To love Yeah, to love all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I am happy to be standing here this morning and reporting to you that we have been doing that since 1944. I'm just amazed by that. That is, yeah, yeah, you can applaud that because God has done that. That is 73 years of exciting, like, amazing ministry in this community, in the nation, and in our world. And Crosswalk Modern Worship has been a part of that for 16 years almost. We're going to have a birthday uh, celebration in September. 16 years almost. Where is AJ? Do you see AJ? Wave your hand. AJ has officially nominated himself as our as Sweet 16 birthday party thrower. So if you want to throw a party with AJ, that's your dude right there. He's in charge, okay? So if you want to know how we're going to do that, AJ, you're in. Now, as we've gathered this summer, we've been uncovering some of the very defining milestone moments in ministry in Lover's Lane's very rich history. And we're, we're talking about how those can fuel a vibrant mission and ministry to love all people going forward. So, you see, we believe that every single one of these stories and every single story that you have is the good news that somebody needs in their lives today. Do you believe that? I do. And let me tell you, we've been painting you some amazing pictures, some really amazing pictures of what all has gone down here at Lover's Lane. And we've been uncovering those pictures to show you how God has been at work here. It's been amazing. We've looked at the story of Reverend Tom Shipp and how back in the 40s, you know, he was uh, not only a minister with a heart for church planting, he was an associate pastor out of Perkins, and he not only had this heart for planting churches, but he had this heart to do ministry that, inc that was inclusive of alcoholics, even though uh, his worst fear might come true and we might become the, the alcoholic church of Dallas, right? Like that would be a bad thing. And that led to today the largest addiction ministry in all of North America being located right across the street. It's Lover's Lane's own 12-step ministry. That's amazing. <laughs> so 900 people a week or more are impacted by that ministry and meetings over there. 
And then we also talked uh, with Pastor Stan last week about Miss Bernice Jones. And she uh, is this beautiful masterpiece of a lady who was the first, who was the first African-American female who was given uh, a membership into Lover's Lane United Methodist Church and really any United Methodist Church in the area, maybe even in the country. And she was a trailblazer, a trailblazer who would prepare the church for others. And, and, and that would lead to many other African Americans joining the church. And even in our own fellowship right now, we have two actual African American congregations that worship right here this morning as Zimbabwean and the heart of Africa. That's what happens when people follow and are led by the Spirit. Two vibrant worship experiences right here, right now. Today, we're going to look at this important story of what uh, Stan mentioned earlier about Reverend Dr. Bill Bryan. Now, I have a picture of, of myself and, and Bill. Do you have that? This is my graduation day back in May, and that is uh, Reverend Dr. Bill Bryan. And he is a man who in the 90s was way, 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 way ahead of his time. He made this controversial decision to baptize two baby girls that were conceived by a surrogate mother and whose fathers were two homosexual men on Christmas Eve in 1995. His decision 22 years ago, friends, sent shockwaves, right? Shockwaves through the system of the United Methodist Church, of Christianity, in our, in our city and in our country. Shockwaves. And his choice came at a very high cost. In fact, it caused a number of very staunch and high-profile members to take themselves and their checkbooks and leave. Right? You know, Brian, he had grown up doing, um, additioning out plates of food because his family is like Sonny Brian. <laughs> right? So he's been, and, and I laugh because when I read about what his congregation said about him, it was that he learned, he made a way to like reference barbecue in every single sermon he preached here. <laughs> I'm guilty of that too. I understand where he's coming from. And he, like uh, Schiff, pushed the congregation also to be very racially inclusive. He challenged the congregation back then in the 90s to be less lily white. That was the exact term that I read. <laughs> so it's interesting. In a 1996 article published by D Magazine about the controversial nature of this baptism of the two daughters of gay parents, Glenna Whitley wrote this. Churchgoers squirmed at Brian's cooler, more distant method of delivery. They chafed at the more frequent mentions of sin. They didn't leave the sermon feeling uplifted. They left feeling guilty. This D Magazine article was titled, Baptism by Fire. You can look it up on the internet. All I did was Google it. And then they refer to this baptism, get this, as the cable barber twins incident. <laughs> That's how they refer. That's the language they use to refer to this baptism. Let me read you a little bit of this article, an excerpt. 
On the morning of Christmas Eve, which fell on a Sunday, Brian stood before the congregation dressed in his holiday finest. That cracks me up. And he announced that it was a historic occasion. He first held up a tiny Olivia Joy. And then her twin sister, Catherine Grace. Wearing matching white dresses, sprinkled their heads with water and baptized them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To his left, their parents, Dr. Lawrence Barber and Dr. James Cable beamed. Many at the service that morning didn't initially realize why it was a significant event. Two babies, two daddies. But word spread quickly. Shocker, right? <laughs> The two fathers are a homosexual couple who had paid a surrogate mother in California to bear a child through artificial insemination. The fraternal twins were born in July of 1995. So if we had to paint that picture up here, it's now July of 2017. But in July of 1995, that's what the picture would look like. The United Methodist denomination, they cited, regarded this activity as sin, and they did not recognize same-sex marriages. A U.M. minister in Denton that year was forced to resign his ordination because he had performed a ceremony for two gay people. In baptizing the two infants, some felt, and this is a quote, that Brian was condoning the men's relationship <clears throat> and the method of the baby's conception. That's the problem in their words. This is going to become more problematic because of today's advances in genetics, but I'm going to talk about that later, okay? <laughs> Outraged, they begin writing letters and calling church members and lay leaders and the bishop to complain. Barber, a clinical psychologist, has been a member of Lover's Lane for about eight years. His partner, Dr. James Cable, an orthopedic physician, had been attending regularly for about a year. They are bound together just short of marriage, says Barber, by legal documents dealing with powers of attorney and guardianship. Determined to be parents, the two men tried for four years to adopt a child. They tried for four years to adopt a child. After eight, eight attempted adoptions, after eight attempted adoptions failing, that fell through for various reasons, they turned to a California agency for surrogate mothers. A married woman who knew they were gay agreed to bear their child. Both flew to California for the girl's birth by cesarean section. Barber had been baptized by the former minister here at Lover's Lane, Pastor Don Benton. Benton was the reason Barber joined the church. Now get this. Don was the most, preaching, mo uh, most moving preacher I had ever heard, said Barber. He had been to the Metropolitan Community Church of Dallas for services, but thought that the sermons were too gay. <laughs> Neither man is involved in activism. There's more to my life than what I do in bed, said Barber. Even before Olivia and Catherine were born, says Barbara, he knew he wanted them baptized as infants in the church. Barbara said that Benton did not know that Barbara was gay when he sprinkled him. He didn't know. He didn't know him. 
Brian had taken over the church at about the same time the girls had been born. In the fall, Barbara and Cable asked Brian to baptize their babies on Christmas Eve. Because that is when their families were in town. Okay? They weren't trying to hijack a service. That is when their families were in town. That makes perfect sense to me. Let me paint another picture for you. The tension at Lover's Lane was very high, right? In the context of 1995, the world was really on its heels from the exploding AIDS epidemic, right? You have a marginalized minority, two openly gay fathers, being uplifted in the Christmas Eve worship service that in the church's mind at the time belonged to belonged to the rich white majority that was Lover's Lane. And let me tell you, friends, all hell broke loose. Now, let's hit the pause button on that for a second. To get to that picture, we really have to be able to cross the line that's being drawn in the sand here, right? So to get to that picture, you have some things now that you have to be maybe rich and, and white and in the majority for one. So let's hit the pause button on that. Now let me paint you another picture, right? One that goes even further back in time. One that is almost 2,000 years ago. With the uh, stroke of our brush, we're going to uncover today a church in Galatia, right? Where Paul is in a very similar predicament. The Jews have owned the religion up to this point. But the spirit of the one true triune God has led Paul to declare that because of Christ, the church is now to include the despised Gentiles the non-Jewish believers. And back then, all hell was also breaking loose, right? Is breaking loose. The Jews are trying to co-opt Paul's churches in Galatia and force the Gentiles to be circumcised and to keep the Torah law, which are to non-Jewish Gentile believers oppressive requirements at the best. So in Paul's letter to Galatia, Paul is writing to the churches about these false teachers and the danger that their doctrine presents to the church. In his message to them, he is addressing how their works, which means what they do, the whole circumcised conversation, and this adherence that they're insisting on to the strict, strict Torah laws, that their works should not be the key to their identity, rather their faith in the resurrected God. Jesus Christ is the true source of their identity. So in other words, who they are, I want you to hear this, who they are doesn't determine their salvation. Who God is determines their salvation. So I want to say that one more time in case you miss this, because I can't have you miss this point today. In other words, who they are doesn't determine God's salvation. Who God is determines God's salvation. 
Now, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 23. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, but if you have a Bible app, that's fine. If you want to read it off of our screens, that's fine. You can read it any way. I'm going to start Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, reading through 29. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. This is Paul writing to these churches. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself, yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Help us, God, to understand these stories. Help us, God, to see you clearly. Help us, God, to be able to have your spirit lead us so that we may follow into what it is that you have for us. Help us to be the church, lovers lane, crosswalk that you have called us to be. Help us to be one in that, one in ministry. Help us to be an extension of the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ, for this place, for this time, for such a time as this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, see, there was some problematic theology going on in this church. It was an important one. These, these Jews basically are saying, hey, friends, uh, we control Christmas. As long as Christmas means that Christ came to do what we want, and as long as Christmas means that Christ came to do it in the boundaries that we've set and established and that Christ operates within that will allow it. The nerve. Therefore, the Jews were thinking, you know, we control salvation and access to salvation because this line has been drawn. So we control access to that. Now, We'll concede that you Gentiles, you're, you're accepted, okay? So good news for you. Good news. But you have to become like us first, right? You have to become like me first. So off with your foreskin. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, and uh, strict obedience to the law, that's going to be required too. So I'm going to give you this list of stuff, and I'm going to need you to, like, follow every single bit of it to the letter. Oh, there's also going to be mandatory attendance to worship from now on. And all those Jewish festivals and stuff that we have, you have to come to all of that and observe that very perfectly as well. Can you imagine if I tried to pull this off with you today? <laughs> if I told you that you had to come to worship every single week without fail, eat what I say you can eat, drink what I say you can drink, never miss a church holiday, which will entail exactly, oh, by the way, what I think it should. <laughs> Oh, and um, you're going to need to have a little surgery, too. <laughs> You'd look at me like I was out of my mind. You'd think, that pastor has gone completely nuts. He's lost his mind. 
But that wasn't God's plan. Jesus, in his own ministry, and through the ministry of Paul, sits the church on its ear. The Messiah is not any longer just God for the Jews, right? It's God for all. They go about the business of uniting unlike people for the purpose of reproducing the church and reaching all nations for the sake of Jesus Christ and his salvation for the world. It's good news for all, in other words. And in the Galatian church, there are two really big issues with this, right? One is that the teaching of Paul's opponents is a false gospel that emphasizes this this works from the law, which subjected people to what they describe in this scripture, in this passage, if you read before this, as a yoke of slavery, all of these laws that they had to follow. The impact of that teaching on the Galatian church is important because it distracts the Galatians. Paul realizes it from the true knowledge of God by focusing their attention on weak and worthless elemental things that are not God's at all. These include days and months and seasons and years and festivals, all these things that they're supposed to be doing, right? They seek to compel the Gentile believers to receive circumcision because they desire to make good show in the flesh and avoid the persecution of the cross, which had become so synonymous with Paul and his ministry and what he proclaimed. You know, they are also motivated by personal gain rather than a genuine concern for the law. They wanted to be the gatekeepers. They wanted the power as evidenced that they themselves weren't keeping the law, by the way. They themselves, the things that they were insisting on, they weren't even capable of doing. They're also motivated by that. And it created this great identity crisis, right? For the Galatian Christians. So the question became, who are the true sons of Abraham then? Who? But Paul's gospel, Paul's gospel was a whole different story. Because it was really good news, right? It was different. And Paul himself, I don't think, could even have imagined the impact and the real, full, complete revelation of God that was taking place. I don't think any of us can either, but in an age where we are gifted more and more and more with the latitude to genetically create with cotton and to genetically alter what God breathes life into, the stakes are even higher now for us to understand this message. We're going to be going into more uncharted territory where there is an opportunity for even more of this elitist behavior. Our gospel message, our good news to the world, is even more relevant today than it was all those years ago. And like Paul's gospel, it must be, it must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must proclaim the gospel that is characterized by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Hearing from our faith and our lives lived out in the spirit and in the knowledge of God with an ethic of love and freedom. You see, Paul was required to reinforce the status of the Gentile believers as full-blown covenantal members without the trappings 
that Judaism offered at the time. I submit to you that we must continue crosswalk to reinforce the status of all believers. All be- How many believers? All believers as full members of the covenantal community without the trappings of Christianity. Christ's death inaugurated a new age of restoration in which the covenant community was defined in terms of faith rather than law. In this new age, all nations that accept Christ in faith are saved. My Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life because Christ came to save the world, not to condemn it. That's what my Bible says. But the law here in this passage was being treated like a boundary marker. And if the line of covenant is drawn at the law, then guess who is not a part of the community? Christ. Christ himself. (laughs) So let me tell you about a different way. A way of creating a place where salvation can occur. Paul points out that the work of law that those are not a prerequisite to receive the Spirit of God, which is the mark of a Christian believer. True childhood. Paul reminds the Galatians that Abraham was counted righteous because he had what in God? Faith. Abraham was counted righteous. Abraham righteous. Abraham, who gave his wife away to other men, talked her into lying twice about who she was to get him through sticky situations. Abraham, who was willing to be obedient and sacrifice his own son, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. Paul goes even a step further and says, hey, you guys, not just Abraham, but all nations (laughs) through Abraham. How many nations? So the flip side of this is those who pursue salvation by works inevitably end up cursed because they can't fulfill what they're demanding. I don't know about you, but I am not perfect. So for me to uh, expect anybody to come to baptismal waters perfect would be ridiculous. It mean I would alienate myself from that baptism. The other problem is that the law concerns doing but your salvation doesn't the law concerns doing nothing you do earns salvation nothing you do earns the masterpiece that God has for you that according to this word is out of reach for some they were dead wrong those opponents of Paul's Let me tell you, I love that Bill Bryant did what he did, and I'm going to tell you why. You know what I spent yesterday doing? Where's Carla? Carla in BJ's house. I was in her pool with these two fellas right here, Craig and Kevin, 
and a whole bunch of other friends. Rachel, our two little kids. And I couldn't believe that God had placed me on the eve of this sermon in that environment, in the place where God did. It's just amazing how God works and orchestrates things. Because I remember sitting there thinking, I love every person that's here. And we're all in the same water right now. We are all in the same water right now. We are in a pool swimming together, loving each other, living it out as family. We're sitting there and my kids are enjoying them, shooting them in the faces with water guns. Sorry about that. But I remember thinking, oh my God, I love those men so much that if something happened to Rachel and I, I would give you my own kids before I would let my family have them. (laughs) Because I know they would raise them to love God. I remember looking at you and thinking, oh my God, I would give my kids to you because I know you would raise them to love God. You want to draw the line? I don't. I don't want to draw the line. And what was happening at Lover's Lane in 1995 and the mindset of the church at large was we control Christmas and salvation. And in our world, it's a neat little straight, white, rich Christmas. We've cleaned up the Christmas story. We've given Mary an epidural. How nice. We've painted over the olive-colored skin, right? We've painted over that. We're just, we're just painted over that olive-colored skin. Uh, she's, not, she's peachy now. Everybody, in fact, got a nice coat of peach and some decent clothes to wear, right? We've mopped up the blood and the animal poop from the hay, right? And we've, we've attached a couple of angels with halos to swing over the manger, which is no longer in a dank, damp cave. It's in a nice, pretty, well-appointed barn made of reclaimed wood. <laughs> if you want to believe that bull-faced lie, go ahead. You want to believe the little drummer boy came in? and <laughs> Go ahead. It's a little too neat for what my Bible says happened. Because what really happened on Christmas was that Jesus Christ, the true God, broke into human time and broke into human space and interrupted the troubled theology of his own people. He was the renegade rabbi. And do you want to know why? Because now the church was going to be born of spirit. So you want to see the masterpiece that God painted, that no one else can paint? It's that we may all arrive at this baptismal water the same, or from different places, but we all leave it the same. That's the painting that only God can paint. Because your slate was wiped clean. And so was mine. And so has every other Christian who's been baptized in the waters. This is not about how you come to the water. It's about how you leave it. It's not about what you do. It's about what God does. (laughs) And let me tell you, it's for all. You want to talk about an unconventional 
thing happening. Unconventional parents. Why don't you think about a 13 or a 14-year-old teenage girl who's been impregnated by the Spirit of God, the Father, who's eternal from above? Oh, and then that third will character, right, Joseph? Kind of scandalous, yeah? And we're worried about two gay daddies and a couple of gay moms? Woo! Who give birth to a, a, a celibate Hebrew refugee <laughs> who was not peachy. He spoke Aramaic, and he wasn't rich either. He was poor as a church mouse. If you don't know what a church mouse is, Google it. But a baby that claimed to be Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. Jesus, the disciples, and Paul, they were all trying to get into the heads of the church that it is not about their guardianship to the Messiah. It is not about their guardianship of salvation. It is not about clearly defining a red line in the sand. It is to create a sacred space where unlike people are united under the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ who authors our salvation and is the heir of God to reign all of heaven and earth. It's about his radical, unconditional love. It's about him including all people. How many people? All people. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God, friends. Every single one of us. By their very own treatment of those men and those little girls, I can guarantee you all fell short. But we don't like to remember that part. We don't like to remember that life is just a little dirtier than all those people were willing to admit. Right? Is this the God of come as you are or not? Are we seeking to demonize or are we going to love all people or not? What if even the most conservative Christians are right and everything they think is true? Everything they deem as sin is sin. What are they really after? Are you seeking justice for other people but mercy for yourselves? Hmm. Are we going to be a church of double standards? I can't hear you. Are we? Is that trusting God with the outcomes? Do we think that the evolution of the world really involves no new norms? Are we really that naive? Do we mean it when we say that all people are created in the image of God and all people are of sacred worth? If we're going to blast all sinners, well, my goodness, what all do you have to do? What all do you own in that judgment? So God breaks in and creates a sacred space and signs the blank slate and the masterpiece with God's signature. Jesus Christ.
Take me down to the river. Wash the dirt from my hands. I've been traveling so long in this foreign land. Please, Father, forgive me, for I've lost my way. A sin runs through my body. There's poison in my veins. It's not as nice and neat as you tried to make it. Should have known from the start, Lord, I couldn't do it alone. Oh, I tried, I tried, I tried so hard to make this world my home. So come redemption, please set me free. Oh, holy water, come now and cover me. Take me down to the river, cause I'm a broken man. Yeah, we all tend to forget that we all arrive at the waters of baptism, a little dirty, a little swampy, a little gritty, right? A little mucked up from life, a little jarred and a little jostled, because when we do life, it gets messy. Life isn't all pretty and clean. That's why God gave us Jesus Christ, because God knew it. It was God's plan for salvation, and it's not what we do to earn this, because we but what we can do is stand up and praise God and thank God for the fact that we are all entitled because of what God did, not because of what we did. But take me down to the river, for I'm a broken man. Push me down to the bottom. remember your baptism <laughs> remember that <laughs> in the name of the father son and holy spirit go in peace this week and make sure that you tell people your story and you share the good news because it might just be what they will be amen